say he thinks Trump should get the Nobel Peace Prize for North Korea. Yeah, and Luke Messer is not a mini Trump. He needs to be himself. You know, Luke Messer is hoping that uh, that sound bite gets back to the White House communication staff, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, if they listen to the In Focus podcast. They do. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Controversy at the end of this year's legislative session. With time running out at the Statehouse, lawmakers did not vote on a school safety bill and other key measures. The governor was ready to grant lawmakers an extra hour to finish their work. But House and Senate leaders said no. Trevor Shirley has more. Trevor? Despite working up until that midnight deadline, state lawmakers were unable to get everything passed that they wanted to on their legislative agenda, including some pretty high-profile items. Despite that, House Speaker Brian Bosma says overall he's satisfied with this year's session. Well, they're controversial issues and with some of the national events that happened here in Florida a month ago. I think that heightened uh, awareness. We were ready to do work. Um, the problem was is that there were some very difficult people to deal with today. I guess, you know, probably the best way I would uh, sum up what appears to be uh, this session is a disappointing dud. All in all, despite the uh, flurry here at the end, still a very successful session. And there is some discussion as to whether or not a special legislative session will be needed to wrap up those agenda items that they didn't get passed during the normal session. That decision will ultimately come down to Governor Eric Holcomb. Reporting at the State House for In Focus, I'm Trevor Shirley. Trevor, thank you. Students across Indiana and across the country were protesting to mark the one-month anniversary of the shooting in Florida. The very same day that school safety bill failed to get a vote at the State House. Now some are demanding an explanation. Nick McGill has that part of the story. And that explanation depends on who you talk to. Some lawmakers pointing fingers along party lines, while others saying we simply didn't get it done. Despite that, everyone agrees the real losers in all of this are the kids. Within a matter of hours, the hopes behind this ended like this. Despite the applause, the 2018 legislative session ended without Indiana lawmakers making a move on a plan to increase school safety. Now, many, like the Indiana State Teachers Association President Teresa Meredith, are concerned about why. This was not an early priority and it did not get taken care of. The bill would have added money for grants to make schools safer, allowed schools access to low-interest loans for security upgrades, and required the Department of Education to conduct audits of safety plans. Meredith says she finds it alarming that legislators could find a way to pass bills on Sunday sales and eyeball tattoos, but not this. And I think this is just another example of something that's needed in the education community speaking for it, and yet the legislators just... It wasn't, it clearly was not a priority. The biggest disappointment is that it would have given millions and millions of dollars to schools. Nick McGill reporting. Meantime, the school safety issue also being voted on this week in the halls of Congress, though no movement still on gun control. This week I spoke with Congressman Luke Messer about that issue and the race for U.S. Senate. Some Democrats were frustrated the bill didn't include any gun control measures. And you saw some of that frustration with the student protesters this week in Washington. Does this bill need to go further? Well, look, I'm the the father of a 14-year-old, 13-year-old, and 10-year-old. And like so many other Hoosier parents, 
I just want to make sure when my kids go to, to school, they have an opportunity to be safe when they're there. I think the legislation we passed this w week is a great step in the right direction. You know, um, the Southwestern Shelby School is it, that's been named one of the safest schools in America is from my district. So I've had an opportunity to tour there and, and see that facility. And the principals that work there, I think, can work in schools all across this, this country. We need to have better school facilities to make sure our kids are safe. We need to have coordination with the local law enforcement so that there's a partnership between the school system and local law enforcement. And we need to make sure we have appropriate training for both the kids and teachers when they're in school as well. This um, legislation, is, as you described, Dan, is a step in the right direction. It creates $50 million in federal matching grants so that we can have more schools across America that are like the Southwestern Shelby School in Indiana. But with some of those protests in mind that we saw on guns specifically, is there any legislation you would be willing to support? There's been talk of raising the age to 21 for some assault weapons. The president had expressed some support for that a few weeks ago, then backpedaled on that specific proposal. Uh, where do you stand on some of those ideas that have been talked about? Well, Dan, um, look, I, I, I think that uh, I applaud these kids and, and, and young people all across America who stepped forward to be involved uh, civically. I think that's a, a, a certainly a positive step. I just don't believe gun bans are the answer. Look, the, the only thing gun bans have ever done successfully is keep guns away from law-abiding citizens who, by definition, are, are, are not using these guns to commit crimes. If we can stay focused on the areas where we agree, areas like school safety, um, trying to do more for mental health, trying to do more to make our background check system work as effectively as it was designed uh, to work, trying to do more to make sure we keep guns away from the genuinely mentally ill. If we can stay focused on those areas, I think we have an opportunity as a nation to do some big things that make our schools safer. It's a conversation that no doubt will continue. I also want to talk about the race for Senate. One of your opponents, Todd Rokita, says he won't take part in the GOP debate being put on by the Indiana Debate Commission. What does that say to you about this race, which some have described as, quote, the GOP's nastiest primary? Well, look, I'm going to debate whoever shows up. And I believe the people of Indiana deserve to hear from the candidates. Uh, you know, let's remember that just six years ago, this seat turned on a debate performance, uh, the debate between Richard Murdoch and, and Joe Donnelly. And so I think Republican voters, the primary voters, they want to know whether we're going to have a champion that can take it to Joe Donnelly this fall. And as you know, throughout this campaign, I've stayed laser focused on Joe Donnelly. Look, the United States Senate is broken and Joe Donnelly is a big part of that problem. The House race in Pennsylvania this past week, is that a warning sign? for Republicans in 2018. That's a district the president won by 20 points, just as he did the state of Indiana two years ago. Yeah, I, I don't know about that, Dan. You know, I'm really focused on Indiana. That's what I can tell you in Indiana, that Hoosiers are excited about the leadership of this president. They appreciate that, that we've got low unemployment, that, that wages are going up, that the tax cuts seem to be working, that we've got ISIS on the run, that even North Korea, North Korea is now talking about coming to the table and, and potentially negotiating on disarming their nuclear program. And, and I think the drama of all the rest of that, it's just not what Hoosiers are focused on. They're focused on results. Could there be more departures at the White House? Are you concerned at all about many of these key players leaving the administration? Well, look, Mike Pompeo, who's now been nominated to be the next 
Secretary of State is a great friend of mine from my service in Congress and an outstanding person, smart and tenacious, and he will do a great job for this nation as the Secretary of State. You know, as I made some news last week because I've made the point that if North Korea genuinely disarms their nuclear program, President Trump should get a Nobel Peace Prize. You know, the, the last president got a Nobel Peace Prize for really very little more than, than being an attractive candidate. He, he actually received the prize before he even had his first day in office as president. If we get North Korea to disarm, it will be a direct result of this president's peace through strength policies and the fact that he has stared this North Korean tyrant down. I think most Hoosiers are, are excited to see this progress. I'll save the hardest hitting question for last. Who do you got on your bracket this year? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I got, I got Purdue uh, going to the finals. Um, my wife and her bracket has Tennessee. She's a Tennessee graduate, but in our family, we'll be rooting for Purdue. And of course, like so many other folks in Indiana, we're a little disappointed. Purdue and Butler will be playing in the second round. You know, that, that's something we'll all have to make our, our decisions about. I like Butler too, but frankly, they've had a couple runs of the final four. Uh, let's see if Purdue can, can make a run this time. But this is, of course, a, a really fun time of year. I'll tell you the bracket I should be telling you about, though, Dan, is the, the, the fifth-grade basketball team that, that I coached and Hudson played on. Um, we made a little championship run there, too, so it's been a pretty good year for basketball in the Messer family. All right, go Boilers. Congressman Luke Messer, appreciate you taking some time with us today. Thank you so much. All right, up next, we'll talk more about this latest White House shakeup and what could happen next in Washington. We'll have that after the break. And for different reasons, an Indiana congressman and a candidate for Congress under scrutiny in recent days will explain coming up. All right, we're joined now by Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens, along with two former state lawmakers, Republican Mike Murphy and Democrat Christina Hale. Let's talk about what happened at the end of the legislative session. Pretty unusual, pretty late night. What did you make of all that? Very late night, but let's talk about what didn't happen during session. There was very important legislation regarding children's safety in schools, one of the most important issues facing us today, that just, just got, you know, melted away with time. Um, I think there was also a lot of bad behavior you know, a lot of self-congratulatory speechifying, rolling eyes, and it just got late and things just didn't happen. Speak, Not acceptable. Speaking of things getting late, it, w it was really an unusual situation. You had the governor saying you can extend an hour, some lawmakers saying we're not so sure if we really can. You guys have both been there on those last nights of the session. What did you think of how it played out this well, year? Well, I mean, how much time do we have? It's <laughs> the governor is going to extend yeah. our, our time slot. And I, I can think, understand why you don't want to talk about no, it, Mike. I think in a bullet point fashion, we can say this. Number one, the governor did not have the authority to sign a Senate motion. That makes no sense. Um, number two, I think we missed the leadership and the negotiating skills of Brant Hirschman and Luke Kelly, two lines of the Senate missing for the first and time. And you have more big names retiring this after is exactly this year. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also think that, uh, you know, there's massive egos in that building. Um, three of them are at least six foot five, right? <laughs> and so there's all that kind of competition. But in the end, the Republic survived. Um, we have been past midnight many times. I remember Matt Whetstone climbing up in the balcony and leaning over the battery and, and the turning clock. the yeah. Yeah. rolling the clock back. Um, and so when bills die, when you have two supermajorities and a governor of the same party, they die for a reason. Somebody didn't want those bills yeah. to pass. You don't take the governor's to the top uh, to the, the top governor's bills and hold them to last. I mean, it just, it just makes no sense. The governor yet, will be holding a press conference tomorrow as well. Too. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, 
That's uh, that would be something to see, yeah. no doubt about it. There's Tim, no your, accidents. Your reflections <laughs> on this session and, and what it means for the government. Well, the last night was um, bordering on Trump level chaos. Wednesday and, and, night. Uh, when, it seems like last night. It, right? Well, the, yes, last <laughs> night. Last night of the session. Oh, uh, right, right. So it was right. Wednesday night. Uh, <laughs> you know, Trump level chaos in the state house. We don't expect that. And again, as Mike said, Republicans dominating everything. They should be able to work together. But you, but on Thursday morning, you had uh, the House Speaker and the and the outgoing Senate President pointing fingers at one another, trying to blame it on Democrats who are in a distinct minority. Um, not what we expect from our elected leaders. You said the words Trump and chaos there. Let's talk about the big news in Washington this week. Another big shakeup in the administration. Rex Tillerson is out as Secretary of State. CIA Director Mike Pompeo has been nominated now to replace him at the head of the State Department. Over here at the touchscreen now with the vice chair of the 2016 Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel, and the former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Here's how all of this played out here, guys. On Twitter, the president tweeting, Mike Pompeo will become our new secretary of state. That's how the announcement came out. He'll do a fantastic job. Thank you to Rex Tillerson for his service. Your reaction to the Secretary of State being being replaced this past week on Twitter. On Twitter. It's, it's a bizarre situation, and it's really a shame for two reasons. I think Rex Tillerson was actually doing a pretty good job, and I think this kind of lack of continuity is really bad for our democracy, bad, sends a bad message internationally. I also can't imagine what it would be like to work in the White House right now and know that at any minute your boss could tweet that, by the way, you're fired. Was this the right way to do it? Was Tillerson the right fit? Tillerson was not the right fit, and, and I think we've known this was coming for quite a while. It was just a matter of timing, and this seemed to be the right time uh, for the president to make the switch. Mike Pompeo, I think, will do a great job. One thing that I want to say is you, a lot of folks that have come into the administration, the president didn't know that well. He took advice from others, which is the normal process. But these folks really have to get the president, get Trump. And that's what I think the problem was here. Instead, Tillerson was always trying to be the other side of an issue where he wasn't going along with Butting He didn't have the lot. same vision that yeah. the president had. The VP reacting to this news as well, saying thanks to Rex Tillerson for his service. I congratulate Mike Pompeo on his nomination. And then you had Sarah Sanders the other day saying uh, she just spoke to the president and to General McMaster. Contrary to some reports that have been out there, she says they have a good working relationship and McMaster is not about to be fired. But there have been a lot of reports this week that he could be next. He could be next. There's been reports about Kelly. If I were Mike Pence, I mean, if I wasn't elected alongside the guy, I'd probably be a little worried I was going to get one of those tweets these days, too. He's the one guy who cannot be right. fired uh, by, the, by the power of the Constitution. Is this chaos in the White House, Tony? It's really not. I, I think the, the more troubling uh, personnel-type situation is in the Senate not confirming so many of the president's picks for, for uh, undersecretaries and secretaries, and uh, that's taken five times longer than it has in past administrations. That's what we really should be concerned about. Well, just going to fire him anyway. <laughs> we'll see what happens next. Let's talk about the race for Senate here in Indiana real quick. And first to, to you guys, Jen and Tony, you heard our interview with Luke Messer earlier. Next, we're gonna be, next week we'll be talking with Todd Rokita about that decision to skip the debate in late April. Uh, bad move for Rokita? What do you guys think, briefly? I think right now he's got, to, he's got to win a primary. That's what he's focused on. But I think it says that he can't actually talk to anybody else other than people in his own far right of his party. Tony? There's a couple of other statewide debates that Rokita will be participating in, and we'll wait and see what happens with this one. Okay, back at the desk now with the rest of our panel. Uh, what did you guys make of that news? And, Tim, I know you have sat on the debate commission in the past. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how this works and, and the reaction to, to a major candidate in this primary saying he's not going to participate. First time in, in the debate commission's 10-year history. Very disappointing. 
Um, the commission works very hard to be nonpartisan, to find experienced moderators who know what they're doing, not going to take sides. Uh, there was no reason for uh, Representative Rokita to bow out because he had concerns that the moderator was not conservative enough. The whole point of getting a moderator who's not going to take sides is they're going to be a moderator. They're, they're not going to insert himself or herself into the debate. How do Republicans look at this situation? Well, I think we, there's going to be more than one debate, so this isn't the last, the last answer, so to speak. But uh, Rokita is doing one of two things. He's either not debating because he's, his internal polling shows him pretty far ahead, or he's doing it because he doesn't want to have a Richard Murdoch moment, so to speak, like, like they had back in, uh, in 2012. He's left himself some wiggle room in recent interviews, saying, oh, maybe I'll come around to doing the debate. I, we'll see. Yeah, and he's you know he's really channeling Trump when cha when Trump uh, uh, skipped the Iowa debate. Um, it really didn't do him any any harm to skip the Iowa debate. He yeah. kept chugging along and actually getting stronger. Is so, that the approach here, just to look like an outsider, someone who does not want to take part in the system, bucking the system? Do no harm, I suppose so. But you know, now more than ever, people want to hear the real story from the mouth of that person asking for your vote. Let's hear what you think. And you know, this is, as you said, it's a nonpartisan debate. We just want to know who wants to lead our state in the U.S. Senate. All right. Meantime, an interesting report this week uh, from the Associated Press on the, replace, on the race to replace Rokita in Congress. Candidate Diego Morales now defending his resume after the AP uncovered record showing Morales was fired by then Secretary of State Rokita in 2009 and left another government job facing some disciplinary actions. Uh, Mike, your reaction to this story this week? Well, I think. Uh Diego is a very likable guy. Um, he's a rookie in politics, despite having been around a long time as a candidate. It's very different, and I think uh, I think he's finding out what it's like to play with the big boys. And I don't know who helped the AP surface those records, but I'm sure they had some help along the way. And it's part of being a candidate. You got to be accountable for your record, good and bad. Quickly, the story be damaging to Morales in the primary? You think? Extremely damaging. Okay. He has low name recognition. He had to overcome to begin with. Six weeks before the primary, extremely damaging. I, I agree with Tim. I think that's well said. You know, okay. you just don't want to have that story out there that's a challenge to your narrative. Right. And there it is. All right, we'll be back with much more after this, including what Congressman Andre Carson is telling us about a controversial meeting he held and what he's saying about the political fallout next. Indiana Congressman Andre Carson has been in the news in recent weeks facing some controversy over a meeting he held with Louis Farrakhan, especially after some increasingly controversial comments from Farrakhan in recent weeks. Tim, you wrote this column about the situation this past week after speaking with Congressman Carson. He told you he wouldn't rule out another meeting in the future. He won't rule out another meeting in the future, uh, refused to condemn uh, Farrakhan's comments as hate speech. Um, and, and wouldn't directly criticize Louis Farrakhan. A sensitive situation. Uh, you, you don't think he's handling it well, though? I don't. Uh, the, the, the Nation of Islam is a certified uh, hate group, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, Farrakhan has a 30-year record plus of extremely hateful, bigoted commentary. It's highly questionable whether a member of Congress should sit down with the leader of such a group to talk about public policy. Uh, Congressman Carson also spoke with us uh, about this situation last week. Here's what he had to say. But I have met with many leaders uh, throughout my career, um, person in mention. Um, I'm against homophobia. 
anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, any phobia, any forms of discrimination I've condemned throughout my life and I'll continue to condemn. So you used to work for Congressman Carson. Uh, what do you make of this? Uh, as we said, it's a pretty sensitive situation. It is a sensitive situation. He's, he's a good person and I think he's speaking from the heart. That being said, no, of course he shouldn't resign. He's right. Those are political calls for action. But should he have taken the meeting? Probably not. Should he take future meetings? Probably not. And, and he's right to condemn this kind of speech. It's absolutely wrong. It's difficult to understand the rationale behind the meeting, certainly behind any other additional future meetings. I hope they are not held. Um, he is a good man with a good heart. He is against all of those phobias he stated. Um, but it's time to step up our game. The nation needs healing now. Mike, Tony, Well, I'd have to say I have to disagree with my Democratic friends. I'll actually defend Carson in this case because he's in a tough spot. He's an African-American Muslim, one of only two, I think, in Congress. Um, you know, he's being asked to criticize one of the most prominent African-American Muslims in the country, no matter what the guy said. He's in a very tough spot, and I think he, he handled about as well as he could be expected Are there to. parallels with, the, you know, some who have called on Republicans to not meet or condone comments that the, the president makes or that other people make? A lot of controversial comments get thrown around. I think if the situation's reversed, it's it, hard to, you know, say exactly right. how it would be reversed, but... Republicans get battered a lot harder than, than uh, sure. Congressman Carson. Well, the one thing I'll say, Congressman Carson aside, he's not going to resign, but this is going to hurt Joe Donnelly. That's, that's where this is coming from, and I think Republicans are going to keep attacking Donnelly. Donnelly's been on called this. on to yeah. condemn Carson for not condemning Farrakhan. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. And Tony, I'll start with you. Too much going on in politics to really pick some. I'm going to say Purdue uh, Boilermakers and Butler Bulldogs for their great seasons. The basketball theme. We'll see how Purdue does later today. Mike? Loser has to be Trump because of the new twist in the investigation. Mueller has now subpoenaed the Trump organization. And on a personal note, you'll love this. My winner is my niece, Molly Murphy, who got to dance Irish dancing in front of the president and the prime minister of Ireland. St. Patrick's right theme. Christina. Winners, Eli Goldstein, Zoe Barden, and Zoe Edwards, all student leaders from Indiana who are stepping up and getting civically active, and all the other students like them. Jennifer. Uh, my winner has to be Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania and Blue Dog Democrats. That was a pretty big, uh, pretty big win. My loser has to be Diego Morales, and uh, it's going to be a lot tougher for him to get elected in the Senate primary, or the Congressional the primary. Congressional primary, Tim. Winner, David Long, uh, outgoing Senate leader. Bad final night, but good career in the State Statehouse. Uh, loser, Andre Carson, for badly mishandling the Farrakhan controversy. All right, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for joining us. See you again next Sunday in Focus. A little extra bonus content here on our podcast as we talk about the week that was. There was that special election in Pennsylvania this past week. The Democrat, Connor Lamb, won a very close race, a very, very close race. But it's a district that the president won by 20 points. When you look at that in terms of the rest of the country for 2018, Indiana in 2018 and 2020 beyond. Uh, what did you make of what we saw there in PA this week? Number one, Republicans ought to be very, very concerned. Uh, not only did Donald Trump win that district in 2016, but Mitt Romney won it very comfortably in 2012. It's a Republican district, and for a Democratic uh, candidate to win there, it, it's not dissimilar from a Democratic candidate doing really well in, say, the 5th district. And, in Indiana. But is that transferable? Connor Lamb is a candidate who, who ran very, very much to the middle, right? A moderate candidate 
conservative even on some positions, uh, you don't see perhaps um, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders winning that same district perhaps no, in Pennsylvania, I don't see, right? No, I don't see them winning anywhere except for in their own hometown, quite frankly. But I don't think it is transferable. Um, there's going to be no change in the Indiana congressional delegation. I'm setting aside the Senate for the House seats. Everybody's locked in. Everybody's, everybody's locked in. Everybody's in locked in. The Senate, even who if knows there's what's this wave happen. that they talk about. Yeah, no, it's, it's not going to change. Everybody is popular. I don't care if it's Pete Visklowski and, and Andre Carson or Susan Brooks and Bouchon. Bouchon is the weakest in Indiana as far as his political stability, so to speak. He's right. new. He's not a very political yeah, guy. Yeah, I mean, people point to the eighth or the ninth, ninth. or maybe the second. Yeah, yeah but Hinesworth has too much money. The weakest is Bouchon by far. And, uh, but he's, he's survived a couple of challenges already, and he's going to survive again. So I, don't, I just don't think it's It's very dangerous to apply one race's results because you have different personalities, somewhat different issues, different turnout models, all kinds of things, and, and transfer it 600 miles or whatever it is to the West. I think you're right, Mike, but I would also want to emphasize different turnout models. What's GOTV going to look like? And in these donut areas, say the, the fifth, I mean, there are people coming out of the woodwork there for different meetings. They are fired up. I think anything could happen because we're going to have a lot of non-traditionals turning out to vote in mass. I think the biggest thing that I take away from this as, as a Democrat is look, Connor Lamb, was a, he's a blue dog. He's a conservative Democrat. And there's a, there is a festering schism, if not a full-on schism right now within the party between the folks who say, yeah, we got to have people like Connor Lamb or Joe Donnelly, for that matter, who can win in more conservative states and more conservative areas versus you know, the, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren supporters who say, this is our time to purify the party and make sure that everyone is as liberal as we are. And I'm hopeful that we can be that big tent that we've always said we are and that we, I think we always have been and have both people, both types of candidate, coexist and win in their respective uh, spaces in America. Jen, well said. We, we may well see uh, political history repeating itself. Um, in the lead up to the 2010 midterms, mm -hmm. Republicans started picking up a number of state and local seats, winning special congressional elections, and, and had a very good 2010. And then on a congressional site, a good 2012 and a good 2014. Uh, by the time Barack Obama left the White House, the Democratic Party had been hollowed out across this country. I'm interested to see if we're going to see the same thing happen to Republicans now because of the controversy of the Trump administration. The, the difference between that year and this year is the Democrats were, were weak in their campaign organization in 2010. They weren't organized. Um, they seem to have some slippage between the great election of 2008 for Obama and 2010. No, we had Citizens United happen. Come on, man. Well, that's you that also had the Tea Party happen. Yeah, but, but, but we didn't. We did not get on the Citizens United bandwagon right away. We were like, oh, dirty dark money is terrible, and then we were like, oh wait, we lost everything. We need to get us some of that dirty dark money because it works really well. But in Sorry, the end, well, in the end, Indiana keeps its House delegation exactly the way it is. You know, both the Senate, certainly the state Senate, and to a lesser degree the, the state House, both have a few seats to give up. And there's probably some seats that marginally won last time that maybe shouldn't have but won. But if it goes a few either way, it, goes, it's it doesn't not gonna matter, matter much. It's not right. going to matter. So yeah. Bosman ends up with 65 instead of 70 or something like that. And, and the, the new Senate pro tem ends up with, you know, uh, 38 instead of 41. Well, God forbid, right? I mean, it's just not that big of a deal. The Senate, obviously the key is the Senate race, and it's unfortunate, it's bad timing for the Republicans 
to have a nasty, dirty, controversial primary when we should be funding one candidate who has their act together. And that primary continues to get more interesting. As yeah. we mentioned uh, on the program, Todd Brokita does not want to take part in the Indiana Debate Commission debate, though he's taking part in, in other debates. Um, there's just a lot ahead of us here in the next few months uh, and, and throughout this entire year. And a lot of unknowns in terms of what happens in Washington, what happens with this administration, what happens with the president, and what effect does that have on the ballot, up and down the ballot this Yeah, year. and I do think Trump looms larger than anyone else. And I think a little bit in the, we talked about this on the program, in the statehouse fallout, the whole traditional playbook, and I've done this plenty of times when, you know, of blaming the other party, even though at the state house level, you know, you've got Democrats in the super minorities. I don't think that works right now. I'm not sure all this outside advertising against Donnelly is going to work because I don't think people are paying as much attention to the blame game or even the specific issues as they are to the general feeling they have about politics right now. And if they feel like there's someone running against an incumbent, a challenger that they can respect and more represents them than the person who may or may not be a rubber stamp for Donald Trump, I feel like the Democrats in those positions are going to do well in the fall. You talked about the fight in the Democratic Party to find the right kind of candidates and to define what the right kind of candidate even is. Um, are, are, when you look at the candidates who are on the ballot for the Democrats in some of these congressional races this year, are they the right candidates? Uh, do we even know enough about uh, many of the candidates on the ballot yet? Well, we've got a lot of people self-selecting, and they're very well prepared. You know, this is an unusual year, and there's a lot of reaction to what happened with the Trump-Clinton election by, you know, ready-to-run programming and different organizations coming out, teaching people how to run. So we have contested primaries, people who are fired up and also pretty sophisticated in their approach. You know, they've got business cards and websites, and, you know, they've got developed position papers. I think something we need to be paying attention to is the back end of how elections happen. And this year is going to be very interesting because we're on a technological cusp. So people are receiving information in new and different ways. So when people may have used call centers, mm -hmm. you know, with traditional landlines, that might not be so effective this year right. to a greater degree than ever before, let alone the other ways we consume information online, et cetera. You know, we're doing a podcast right now. You know, what kind of influence are these other media streams going to have? And just the way people buy, uh, buy advertising. Sure. It's who's, all changed. Who's the figured it out? Changed. And yeah. it's changing. Right. But, but look at who you have on the Democratic ticket in the congressional races. Your star is this woman who's running against Hollingsworth. I can't remember her name. Liz Watson. Liz, Liz Watson. Watson. I mean, that's she, an interesting she, test case. Okay, there. but she, she just moved to Indiana. Warren. Right. And she can't claim that Hollingsworth is a carpetbagger because she's a carpetbagger. So then and that's your star. So who, how are you going to take out a Republican? It's not going to happen. She's not. There's nothing uh, with the Elizabeth Watson campaign that, that strikes one uh, as comparable to Connor Lamb. No. Right. No. Right. Not at all. So, again, it, everything comes down to the Senate. Okay. So, so Mike might be right on the state level, uh, but I think what we're seeing nationally is, is a search for Democrats. We're a long way out from the election. The news cycle is going to spin 500 times between now and then. <laughs> it's been spinning a lot. It's been spinning a lot. Week. There's so many unknowns. We don't know what the economy is going to do. If, if, if the economy surges this year, some signs that it will, that's going to help Republicans, at least it should. Uh, you know, we've got this whole North Korea summit, and, right. you know, could, which could be, a, could be a complete yeah. disaster. But if, you know, if there is some sort of an agreement that uh, North Korea is going to move its nuclear weapons uh, program, put it on a shelf, 
then that could change. I mean, there's so many things between now and then we just don't know. Saudi but Arabia right now, talking about going nuclear. Yeah. So, but Russia. right now, Democrats have to feel pretty good about where they are. And we, we're not talking yet. We haven't talked yet in this in this segment about the the expansion of the Mueller investigation. Right. He subpoenaed the Trump Organization. He's going after Trump's business records. So how popular will Trump be in October, November? Will Jared Kushner be indicted? I mean, that's the, the number one question. I some think have this suggested year. maybe some of the, the shakeups in the White House this week, perhaps an attempt to distract from some of that. News and and one well. of the mistakes I think that Indiana Republicans have made in the Senate race is they're trying to be mini Trumps, run the 2016 campaign again. Uh, and that's, a, that's first of all, it's looking back. It's not looking forward. And I think the 2018 election is going to be very different than 2016. You heard Luke Messer in the interview and, earlier and, say and he Luke thinks Messer Trump should get the not, Nobel Peace Prize for North Korea. Yeah, and Luke Messer is not a mini-Trump. He needs to be himself. You know, Luke Messer is hoping that uh, that sound bite gets back to the White House communication staff, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well... If they listen to the In Focus podcast, they do. That's why they should. I talked to Dan again last week, and he says he gets up every Sunday morning and watches In Focus. <laughs> well, we thank you for watching In Focus and listening to In Focus on the Go. We'll see you again right here next week.